championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Hello and welcome to Fourth and Five, your Longhorn Nation podcast. I'm your host, Will Bazer, and I'll join alongside by Jacob Dedimore and Jason Chilton. Y'all, it's been a crazy, absolute insane week of football. We watched the Michigan Wolverines take down Ohio State. We watched Auburn choke away, really pull a Texas against Alabama. Auburn disappointing America by not beating Alabama. Yeah, but we also watched LSU beat A&M and... Oklahoma just fall apart as a program. It's been amazing. And on top of that, yeah, Texas won. Uh, We got a whole five wins this year, which we're going to talk about. We're going to give you a season breakdown. Uh, Texas finally won, so we're going to talk some Texas football. Uh, We're we're sort of out of our our sadness. We're able to rejoice a little bit and really take a look at the season in general, in whole. Y'all, let's start off with the good stuff, though. Oklahoma, LSU, USC, Notre Dame, just some of the names right in the middle of the coaching silly season right now. Oklahoma currently is in the worst of it, having their entire program basically dismantled from the inside out from Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley took one look at Oklahoma living in Norman versus living in Los Angeles took a look at his job in the future at the SEC, the resources he has compared to the other SEC teams, an easier job at USC and a recruiting ground he's already comfortable with, and said, deuces, and I'm taking everybody with me. How are we feeling? We feel good. I I think one underrated part of his decision (laughs) was, (laughs) yes, the hard-hitting analysis you come to expect on fourth and five. (laughs) But I I, I think one underrated aspect of his move was, like, if you make a shitty brisket and tweet it, and you're next door to Texas, you're going to get killed. If you make a shitty brisket in California, are other Californians going to know? Not really. Do people in Oregon know what a brisket is or what it should look like? No. So I think it's going to be a much more forgiving environment for bad brisket for him there on the West Coast. You're right. That is probably the primary reason he made the move. Yeah, it's it's a much easier path to a barbecue title in a place that doesn't know barbecue. So, you know, it, he just needed the easier path. That's all it was. Right. Like, yeah. is, that, is that salmon? Is that foie gras? Who can say? <laughs> Let's just chop it up and put it in a taco. Oh, man, Jacob, you just gave me one of those flashbacks. When I went to Los Angeles for the national championship against Alabama, I went to this experimental food restaurant. It was like cotton, like liver that was made into cotton can and stuff like that. Like it was just the weirdest thing. It was these, like when you think of the comical Los Angeles in California restaurants where, oh, we're feeding you an emotion. It was legitimately that. It was that, and then you go afterwards, you're like, I'm still hungry, let's go to McDonald's. Did you say liver that was made into cotton candy? It was the weirdest thing. Like, iced, like, meat and stuff, like, like shaved iced meat. It was honestly the weirdest thing I've ever eaten in my entire life. Given the number of Sooner grads who have worked at the State Fair over the years, 
the fact that none of them even attempted trying to make liver into cotton candy probably tells you it's a bad idea. Yeah. I don't think anybody ever tried to combine a Fletcher's corny dog and cotton candy, which is a probably a good sign that those two don't go together with any kind of food. It definitely was a weird, I don't even really remember how it tasted. It really didn't taste like anything. It was just like, ooh, this is the new experimental food whatever craze. Okay, Anyways, so how does that relate to the OU coaching search again? Oh, I'm just saying nobody they don't they don't know like good brisket. That's that's all I was Okay. I was just, I was just remembering that yes. we've We're, tangented yeah. off a tangent, which could take you into strange <laughs> lands. I don't know who's supposed to be keeping this on track and I just took it way off. I was I was somewhere in New Mexico when we we're supposed to be in California. We really were Reddit level rabbit hole right there. That was interesting. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Off and running we go. (laughs) So he made the move to L.A. And I've got to say this because, A, I really don't care about Lincoln Riley and I don't like Oklahoma. So I could say this. First, it's funny that it's happening to Oklahoma. I think I saw the stat today. It's the first time a coach has left them for another job since like 1946, which is interesting. But it's just funny that it happened to him. But at the same time, what Lincoln Riley did – was a complete bitch move. It just was. He's a punk. He's a pussy. There's many reasons why he probably made this move, but one of them had to be he wanted an easier path to a possible college football playoff berth and national championship possibility than he was going to get going to the SEC, getting paid handsomely to do it, but it was still a complete just punk move. And... I hope he fails spectacularly at USC. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. And you wonder how long he has been planning this move. I think Red Dirt Sports said it best. He wants us to believe that over the course of a night, he convinced his wife to move from Norman around where she grew up and where all her friends are to Los Angeles over the course of a few hours. This has been going on for a while. I mean, think about it. We were talking about in the Tope Amade show where, uh, or maybe it was afterwards, you know, who do you go after with for the Oklahoma commits who are from Texas? There's not a lot. It was really Kobe McKenzie was the guy from Texas, and really they haven't been doing much in Texas compared to what Oklahoma usually does. Most of their commits were out of state or West Coast. And it's, if you look at the 2023 class, they were all West Coast. So he's sort of had this idea like, you know, I'm going West Coast, I'm going West Coast, and especially since the beginning of this year when he found out, oh, they're going to the SEC, USC knows, yeah, we're probably not sticking around with Helton. This has probably been in the talks for quite a while. Anybody that believes what he said at his presser uh, today, Monday, that this happened over Saturday night and Sunday morning, I've got some good crypto I want to mm-hmm. sell you, and I'll sell it cheap, you know? Or, what, or whatever, because that's, some that's the biggest. Some, yeah, I got some good NFTs I might be able to sell you as well. That is the biggest little horse shit I've ever heard. And for him to expect anybody to believe it is a serious amount of hubris. How is this going to affect Texas? How is this going to affect the landscape that Texas finds themselves in? I think that it really matters on who Oklahoma hires. And how quickly they hire them. Yeah, with NSD1 <laughs> closing quickly, yeah, the, the, the speed of the hire makes a lot of difference. How quickly that 
person can assemble a staff that has any kind of ties to the region and how quickly they can, you know, make good contacts and try to keep the rest of their class together is big for the near term. You know, for the long term, the biggest thing to me is whoever they bring in is probably going to be worse at teaching and coaching and designing offense than Lincoln Riley. So I will take that <laughs> yeah. as a win right out of the gate. Like the the name that I've heard the most, uh, you know, has been bandied about a good bit has been Brent Venables. I think the rumors that there's going to be a press conference now, maybe it's tomorrow or today. If you're listening to this or yesterday, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, <laughs> we'll see if that comes to fruition. Um, you know, he certainly uh, knows his stuff on defense, but could very easily fall into the trap of defensive coordinator hiring a meat and potatoes, tough, physical, grinded out offense versus, uh, you know, doing the wise thing that uh, Bob Stoops did back in the day. Like, what is the offense that's the most pain in the ass for me to defend? Let me get that guy. <laughs> so you you got a lot of potential points of failure for OU when They've had so very few points of failure that have actually come to fruition over the last 20 years that you have to be smiling right now. It's a Longhorn fan. You know, it might they they might, you know, fall into a mud puddle and come up with a fish in their pocket or whatever Daryl Royalism you can throw in there. But you'd like to see a big chink in the armor when you've seen so few over the past couple of decades. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where you know, it doesn't matter if Brent Venables, if they hire him, yes, there is obviously the not so distant Oklahoma connection as he was a coach under Bob Stoops and Bob Stoops is taking over as the interim coach for their bowl game. Um, so there is connection there with Oklahoma that will, that would be good from a continuity standpoint, I guess, to an extent. And Venables has made his bones as a defensive coordinator and a very good one, but he's been a coach for 26 years and has never been a head coach not once in his entire career has he ever been a head coach of a program that's risky if you're Oklahoma I get that they're in kind of panic mode right now and they're trying to find some way to tamp down the fire but hiring Brent Venables to me kind of reeks of a bit of a panic move and you're right if they do go with Venables their offensive coordinator hire is going to be just as important as the hire of Venables because Jason is 100% right. It doesn't matter who they bring in. It's the, the offense, the offensive coach that they bring in is not going to be as good as Lincoln Riley, because if he's not the best in college football, he's one of the top two or three offensive minds in college football. Right. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do. If they definitely, if they do go with Brett Venables, He's not going to be set up like Lincoln Riley was. That's the thing is there's not going to be the level of consistency that Oklahoma has been comfortable with over the past 20 years because Lincoln Riley is bringing all the big names with him to USC. Alex Grinch. He's bringing Bill Bedenboe. He's bringing the wide receivers coach. He's bringing... Hold on 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 Bedenboe because Bedenboe does have an offer to go to USC, but he has not accepted it yet because he's not really certain he wants to go because neither he nor his wife really like the idea of moving to LA. So that's not a that's not a set and that is a very key hire True. that Lincoln Riley needs to execute if he's going to be successful out in Los Angeles and it would be a big win for Oklahoma if they're able to retain him somehow. True. But the consistency still is not going to be there. If he's taking the wide receiver coach, if he's taking the defense and probably most of the defensive staff uh who've really actually turned that defense around. 
you know, besides Texas Tech, it's been Oklahoma that's given the Big 12 the identity as the conference that doesn't play defense. That's really what excites me the most and what also frightens me the most about what Oklahoma can do because they don't have the consistency. That is what has propelled them to be consistently a 10-win program for the past 70 years. But when they do have to make a coaching hire, they know how to do it. And you've seen that with after Barry, you know, after Bud Wilkinson, after Barry, no, with Bud Wilkinson, with Barry Switzer, where when a coach leaves them, they bring in another coach that has won, I think, six national championships combined. Yes, they do, but they've never been put in this position to do it before. That's the difference. In the past, over the past, you know, really since Switzer, because they've had a number of coaches since Switzer, you know, they've been the ones who made the change. They let go of a guy, which means they're looking for the next guy to bring in. In this case, they weren't looking for the next guy to bring in. They were trying to keep the guy they had, even when they, they heard the rumors. They have been caught in a position that as 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 great an, an athletic director as Joe Castiglione is, and he is, he's never been put in this position before. And so I'm very curious to see how they handle it because it is such a massive decision they have to make. Who's the funniest name you could think of as the Oklahoma coach? Jason, what do you think? Uh, I think the third male husband from Tiger King. <laughs> if they are in Oklahoma, that would be an easy drive. It, it, it really would. Yeah. And he wouldn't feel self-conscious about the teeth. And I, I feel like it's a good marriage. And better than the one he was in anyway. True. What about you, Jacob? You're talking about, you're talking about like actual names of the names I've heard that would make me laugh. Yes. If they hired him. I mean, I saw some names bantied about today that I knew were, were garbage, so I didn't even really like Cliff Kingsbury's agent fed Adam Schefter some bullshit, and Schefter tweeted it out today about, you know, Oklahoma is apparently targeting Cliff Kingsbury to replace Lincoln Riley, and I quote tweeted it with yes, and I'm targeting Charlize Theron as my next wife. Yeah, I wonder if Cliff Kingsbury is aware that he's interested in that job. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah, Sch Schefter will kind of suck on any banana that you sneak into his mouth. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was it, it was so laughable when he tweeted it out, and Schefter got roasted by a lot of people with quote tweets on that, but... I mean, Lincoln Wright, or excuse me, Cliff Kingsbury has no desire whatsoever to go back to college and recruit kids. He has none of that. He just wants an extension on his current deal, which has one year left in Arizona. Uh, so mark that one off your list. Um, but man, you know, of the names I heard that they might have been looking at, none of them made me just laugh out loud, but none of them really struck fear into me either. Um, the only one that kind of worried me that apparently might've been talked about initially was Lane Kiffin. And I do not want Lane Kiffin going to Oklahoma. No, no, I don't no. think that's going to happen, but I, I, that doesn't need to happen either. Yeah. That, that would be, if we're talking about a guy like Lincoln Riley, who's a top offensive mind, Lane Kiffin is kind of what Texas fans want Steve Sarkeesian to be almost. Am I wrong in saying that? Well, I mean, without the... I, I don't think we've asked for Sark to handle up on Booster's wives, yeah. but from an on-field success standpoint, somewhat. Yeah. Yes, yeah. on the field, yes. Off the field, not so much. <laughs> Joey Freshwater, they call him that for a reason, right? <laughs> 
let's we don't need our head coach handling up on co-eds how about that yeah no i get that uh but i'm i am interested in seeing you know how does brian kelly turn into an lsu guy because he isn't one right now in fact he seems like a guy who thinks sprite is spicy i don't know how he's going to survive in cajun country and given the fact that Texas does often go into Louisiana and Louisiana does often go into Texas in recruiting battles and pretty soon in conference matchups, that's going to be an interesting battle, especially since Brian Kelly is probably thinking retirement soon. I don't understand how he and why he is taking the LSU job, but uh, he is. Yeah. Well, I do. It's $100 million. That's why. I get it. But, I mean, I that one still – I'm. I get they're paying him a lot of money, but it's not like he was getting underpaid at Notre Dame. It That one really kind of boggles my mind because I don't get the fit at all. I get why Brian Kelly was looking for another gig because it's been pretty well-known in circles that he's been frustrated for a few years up at Notre Dame with not being able to get the kind of athletes he wants because they can't get into Notre Dame, um, and that's frustrated him. But that dude has never coached south of the Mason-Dixon line. I don't get the fit here, and I it's going to be a really interesting, uh, you know, marriage down there because now Brian Kelly is your guy that's directing a culture change. Okay, let's see how that works. Yeah, I mean, I, probably his best move would be to you know kind of pull a Stannis and you know sacrifice and you know an assistant ga whatever it is and some kind of voodoo blood ritual to uh kind of you know appease the gods and invite you know, yes yeah bring the red woman into the locker room and uh yeah yeah okay. absolutely and, and, and a lot of coaches will balk at that but he, he'll kill a guy just to film practice so i feel like he's <laughs> willing to probably offer somebody up lower him into the tiger pit and uh, and get things rolling yeah. and i get that he wants to win a national championship but that's just a we, I mean, honestly, I Oklahoma would have been a better fit for Brian Kelly than LSU, in my opinion. I'm glad he's not going to Oklahoma, but I think that would have been a better fit for him. I didn't even think about this. Brian Kelly. Like, Oklahoma is no, not, not averse to sacrificing someone either. I mean, they let Dusty Dvorak damn near do it. <laughs> <laughs> Hat, hats for bats. Keep bats warm. <laughs> what, what is Notre Dame? Notre Dame is... They're sixth. They're, 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 they're probably going to be the CFP. They're going to be fifth tomorrow. And Brian Kelly just left. Yeah, I mean that is a that is a, a that is a eleven and one football team that's about to be number five in the college football playoff rankings, and he left to go to LSU because he. I mean, yes, he got a raise, but he left to go to LSU and Oklahoma, a ten and two team that's made three college football playoff appearances under Lincoln Riley, and he left to go to USC, which has been struggling since Pete Carroll left. I, it's, Dude, it's crazy times right now, you know? I mean, and by the way, we haven't mentioned it, but Florida got rid of Dan Mullen and hired Billy Napier out of Louisiana, which I thought LSU would really look at, but apparently their, their big money people said, we can't hire the guy from Lula. Well, he's winning. Yeah. You know? And he's not sleeping with co-eds like Coach O. <laughs> yeah. Go so. Tigers. Go Tigers. And then on top of all this, on top of all that crazy news, that AM gets another five-star recruit. 
Texas should be the one that is really, you know, building on all of this, on the fact that there is instability at Oklahoma, the fact that there's instability at Louisiana, at LSU. And if Texas had a somewhat worthy season, pun intended, they would have raked it up in in the recruiting this year, which would have really helped towards building a program for Steve Sarkeesian at least quicker. Now, A&M has had 10 years to build up the booster network that Texas needs to build up. And, I mean, don't get me wrong. The booster network's built up. Let's not... But, you know, let's not give them that much credit. The booster network at Texas is built up. It's just a matter of deploying it. Yes. it's it, it, There needs to be some infrastructure built for the bagmen at Texas. There isn't. Right. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah the, the, the Texas boosters have been instrumental in uh, you know deploying the new south end zone and other capital projects. But uh, to compete in the SEC, different types of capital projects are needed. Exactly, yes. exactly. Like, like Texas can get money for yeah, exactly projects and for, you know, coaching and, you know, meddling in the program. They can definitely get money for that. Like that, that boosters are especially good at that. Texas boosters, but Texas needs to change from what they have been since the 1970s, the 1980s, when comparatively to everybody around them, they were the good boy. They were like the golden child in the Southwest Conference. Compared, you know, they like Rice might have been a little bit more, uh, a little bit less brazen than Texas, but. Texas, you know, has been since the 70s. They've played the game for sure. I mean, if you read the books, like there were places on the drag players went to go get money, like literally bags of money. But they've never been willing to really go out and play the game to the best of their ability, given the fact that they basically have unlimited funny money. Here's the great thing now. The game's legal. It's not illegal anymore. So the game is wide open for anybody to play it if you'll just get in there and play it. Now, look, we've heard that there is a they're they're announcing this big new NIL thing this week. And I, you know, I know of a couple people that are involved in this or at least their businesses are going to be involved in it. And they're really happy with with what Texas is about to roll out. So let's hope that that lives up to what, you know, they think it's going to be. It should have been ready to go in July but at least they got it now because Texas has been presented with a very fortunate short-term opportunity here while Oklahoma is in scramble mode, trying to figure out what they're going to do for their coach and trying not to lose all these recruits. LSU is kind of in the same. I know they just hired Brian Kelly, but they've been in scramble mode for a while from a recruiting standpoint as well. You know what? A&M is, is recruiting their ass off. Jimbo Fisher is a great recruiter. This just in. It's one of the reasons they hired him. He's a great recruiter. He always has been, and he's executing that very well. And it also helps that they're winning more than Texas right now. What you have to do is get your own house in order. They can't worry about AM other than just trying to beat them out for recruits. They have to get their house in order, but they've been presented with an opportunity here in the short term. If they can roll out this NLI and NIL thing quickly, and they can, you know take advantage of the instability at these other two major schools in the region, they might be able to go in and snap some guys up that maybe they wouldn't have been able to get otherwise just because of the instability, but they have to jump on it and be ready to go now. And I know we're going to talk about the uh, coaching staff here in a little bit, but this 
situation they've been presented with, to me, lends, you know, maybe leans toward keeping stability on your staff, you know, and trying to sell the future. And as opposed to saying, well, we're going to make, we're going to make a whole bunch of changes after year one. Right. But I'm looking at a guy like Kirby Smart and how quickly he turned the donor network at UGA into the ability to basically wall off Georgia. And Texas needs to be able to do that. Yes, you can use the NIL. That is a tool that Texas needs no, to use. You're not going to wall off Texas. You're not going to wall off Texas. Texas. No. <laughs> no, no, no. But you need to be able to use your donor network in yes. on top of the NIL. So yes, NIL. It's going to be great. It would be great to have a very good NIL, you know, network and organization and program. But that's just part one part of it. To get to the recruits, you need to play the dirty ball. That is, you know, because the NCAA basically has no teeth. It has no ability to really take you to court. Like you've seen it over time and time again. The only time you get in trouble with the NCAA is when you comply with the NCAA. So Texas needs to, you know, basically look at that and say, "Well, shit, let's play dirty. Let's really." Put you know get our boosters to start funneling you know funding money into recruiting projects, right? By the way, all these things that used to be illegal, you can find a way to make it legal now. Like I said, the game is open now. It's not it's not behind the scenes anymore. You know, if you want to funnel a kid money, you can find a way to do it that will comply with all this all these new uh, regulations that have come down with NIL. You just gotta you just gotta work it into the rules. The game is, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the game is there for everybody to play now. It's not any kind of a dirty secret anymore. <laughs> I, I think that's true to an extent. Um, but, you know, a lot of things that are done through NIL now can probably seem a little bit abstract to some guys who aren't, you know, necessarily at the the Tope Amade level of comprehension. Um, and I think sometimes a more old-fashioned approach which uh, bears fruit. And I think we've seen uh, evidence of this tonight as, uh, as Evan Stewart has selected uh, the first stop in his college career. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I, I, I I feel pretty strongly that the more old school approach played a, uh, played a heavy role there, but, but yeah, NIL and building a, a foundation around that. It's an area where Texas could potentially be unequaled, but you're going to have to probably fire both barrels here in the next, you know, year or two to make up the massive talent deficit that Texas has on some of its opponents and certainly some of its future opponents whenever we do finally uh, cross the bridge into the SEC. Right, and the thing is is that Jimbo Fisher has had experience battling against the SEC. And so he knew what he needed to build. And Texas A&M hadn't, you know, they weren't as dirty as the rest of the SEC when they were with the Big 12. But now that they're in the SEC, they had Jimbo Fisher. Even during Kevin Sullivan, they weren't as dirty, you know, and I'm saying dirty. It's not a bad thing. It's actually a really good thing to be dirty in the college football recruiting world. Like, Texas should be dirty. They're not. They should be. They got dirtier in the 
uh, you know, under Jimbo Fisher. And that is the reason they've had so much success. Like, why is he such a good recruiter? He knows how to play the game. Texas needs to get to this, that position. That's what I was hoping with Steve Sarkeesian. He was he's at Alabama. You know, he's been around the SEC. He's bringing a bunch of SEC guys. I was hoping they would be able to build a dirty network to be able to bring in some of these recruits. Maybe it's going to take some time. I guess it did with Jimbo Fisher, but that is also building infrastructure within the boosters and the donors that Texas just hasn't had in the past. We've talked a lot about this. Let's get on to the Texas football season. Let's go look backwards here because one of the reasons Texas is also having trouble with recruiting is going five and seven, including a six game. I was about to say, they suck. Yeah, they suck. They sucked, which really, <laughs> really fucking sucked. I mean, this week is really, honestly, this this past, like, yeah, probably week has been the best time to be a Longhorn fan in quite a while. You know, we had a perfect weekend with AM losing, Oklahoma losing, and it got even perfecter with Oklahoma losing. It's not a word. With Oklahoma losing a their coach and basically, you know, fire, you know, lighting a fire to their football program. If Elko left A and M, that would just make it even better. But you know, we can we only you know beggars can't be choosers because Texas at this point five and seven. They're staying home for Christmas, and they lost to Kansas. What the hell went wrong this season? What happened? M- many, many things. Well, yes. <laughs> How much time do you have? <laughs> Let's start with what was the biggest issue Texas faced this season? What was it? To me, the, the biggest issue was a combination of massive lack of talent at at least key positions on all three levels of the defense and what seemed to be a real unwillingness or inability to kind of pivot and play to the few strengths that you had because specifically on defense specifically on defense i mean yeah the offense had its troubles and we we can get into those later but we kept seeing the offense rip its way out to leads and we kept seeing the defense give them up. I mean, the offense sputtered in the second half repeatedly and, you know, they, they shared some part of the blame, but it really seemed like week in and week out, this was as toothless a Texas defense as you've ever seen. I mean, there were moments of more confusion in the past, like the, the in the, the 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 Charlie Strong regime when we played at Cal and blew like fourteen coverages in the game. <laughs> like the, there've been more confused Texas defenses, but I don't know if there've ever been any that were less threatening to actually make a play. <laughs> and you know that it was part talent and part coaching, and I think the biggest question for Sarkeesian from a staff standpoint is how much of that defensive staff from the top down do you retain and think can, you know, lay a scaffolding for something better? And how much do you say that at all levels, this was just unacceptable and maybe we need to start over? You know, it's, um, it's interesting when I, when I think about the defense and try to evaluate, you know, kind of what the issues were, you know, those first few games in that losing streak, you know, Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma State, Baylor, 
you know, when I watched those games, what I saw was I saw guys in many, many times. uh, And obviously they were there because they were executing in the first half of games. And then in the second half of those games, they were getting, you know, the, whether it was just other coaches making better adjustments or, or them just finally starting to execute against our guys in the second half of those games, they, they weren't able to have success. But what I saw in all those games was guys more often than not in position to make a play and then just not making the play. Uh, I mean, I just saw it over and over again with it looked like a guy is, is going to be there to make a tackle or to fill a or to uh, fill a hole or a guy's there on coverage and he just doesn't make the play. So that tells me that at least from a, a scheming standpoint, a, a, a teaching standpoint, the guys are getting in the right position, but they're just not, they're just not executing when it came down time to, to make the play. Now, you know, in November it got worse and guys just weren't even in position to make plays. Um, I think some of that is talent. Uh, I do think some of that is, is obviously on the coaching staff. They, they have to take uh, some of the blame for it as well, but I think some of uh, it's know, motivation. Uh, I mean, that, I think, you know, even Steve maybe Sarkeesian with certain guys, it. sir, with, with, with some guys, absolutely. And, and I think we're going to see in the off season, there's going to be some hard conversations and there's going to be a lot of attrition either voluntarily or guys getting pushed out if they're not ready to do what's needed to be done. Um, but when I watched that, you know, it, the bottom line is the defense just didn't perform, but for the most part, it was always, it seemed to be always in the second half of ball games where it happened. Cause you can look at all those games where Texas, even the Iowa state game where they got trucked you know, the first half, the defense played great. And then in the second half, they just started getting run through. And so th- that that's both on players and coaches and you know, what you have to decide if you're Steve Sarkeesian is, you know, every, I, everybody to a man, I can't think of anybody whose work, whose opinion is respected in the world of college football, who did not think that hiring Pete Kwiatkowski was a great hire. It was universally thought of as, you know, if not a home run hire, a very good one. And so Steve Sarkeesian needs to decide is number one, is this the, the, is this the direction we want to go defensively? And we just need to give it more time to come to fruition. And can he and I as defense and offense be more complementary in how we execute our game plans to work uh, together? Uh, because as Jason said, the offense has to take some of the blame for some of those second half losses where Texas blue leads because the offense kind of went in the shitter in some of those games too. And I think um, on so, top of that, does he have the understanding of enough of the defense? Not saying that he doesn't know defense. He probably knows defense 10 times better than I do, but enough to understand like, yes, this is, this is the way we want to go with this defense. Well, I, I, and he's all, running. He, now he understands his own system. But what they, what Sarkeesian has decided is, is or, or did you mean Sarkeesian? System... Did you mean Sarkeesian knowing Kutkowski's defense? Yes. So like, oh, is okay. this is this the way okay. we want to go? Because you know, Can while his Pete Kutkowski system work together. Yes. Will Pete? Will does he know the defense well enough so that that it will mesh with his system? And you know, because Pete Kutkowski, while he was very good, it was at Washington, and you see. 
how Lincoln Riley meshed his high his highly potent offense with another defensive coordinator who worked on, with a highly potent offense with Mike Leach. Alex Grinch coming from Washington, you know, Washington State with with Mike Leach, he made the defense good while they had a very highly potent offense. Did uh, Jason, you might know this. Did Kwiatkowski and Sarkeesian, were they on, was he, was, was Kwiatkowski on Sarkeesian's staff when he was at Washington? I, as the head I coach? didn't, I didn't think so. I, I could be wrong, Did he come but after I, with I, 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 be, I believe so. I believe okay. so. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Cause I couldn't remember if they, if they were actually on the same, he may not have been the DC then, but I didn't know if they were on the same staff. But to um, your points, when you're talking about how the defense starts well, and then they sort of fell off towards the end, right? You made that point. Name this stat. Texas was 1-7 when this didn't happen, and 4-0 when it did. Gave up less than, no. Got a sack? Time of possession. Oh, when they when they won the time of possession when battle? When they won the time of possession battle, they were 4-0. When they lost it, they were one and seven. That one being Rice. When they didn't give that defense any time to breathe, they lost. Well, and that's what I was saying. That's where it, I, what I was part of the same reason. Yeah, that was part of the point I was making. The fact that the exactly. offense does have to shoulder some of the blame for all those second half collapses. It wasn't just the defense. It was the offense as well, and that's why I brought up the point about Sarkeesian has to decide if his offensive system and Kwiatkowski's defensive system can work together to play complementary football going right. forward. And okay. on top of that, the reason for those time of possessions was, let's look at the third down efficiency here. You know, for Louisiana, they were 10-15 and 15 on third down. Arkansas, 4 for 13. Rice, 7 of 10. Texas Tech, 10 of 14. Oklahoma, 4 of 12. Oklahoma State, 4 of 14. Baylor, 3 of 14. Iowa State, 5 of 16. Kansas, different story, really is weird. 7 of 11, that really was on the defense right there. That one, yeah. West Virginia, 2 of 10. Well, the offense did turn it over three times. And then, yes. And then uh, Kansas State, 8 of 6. So you can see... When Texas and I has, would be willing to bet the majority of those third down failures happened in the second half of ball games. Exactly, and it was probably due. I don't have the stats in front of me. Due to a failure to succeed on either first or second down, when they didn't get, when they didn't have a success, a high enough success rate, meaning they didn't get the yardage that they're supposed to get or expected to get on first and second down, when they are behind the chains, basically. It's going to, you know, they basically fail. There's nothing they can do. And that is really what killed was during the second half, they either weren't able to deal with the changes that a team came out with, or they really just kind of sat down and, and stopped doing a lot of motions. Stop, you know, they, once they got off of the set plays, it started to fall apart, which, you know, speaks to, hey, they know how to plan for a team very well, but after that, it sort of broke down. Well, I, I think one of the things that Sarkeesian also has to look at, and I, I think it's one of the reasons that uh, the season kind of ended up like it did, 
we talked about some of it going into the season. I think the, and Jason addressed it a few minutes ago, the talent deficiencies that they had at certain key spots on both sides of the ball were deficiencies that, that they were not able over the course of a full season to overcome. Mm -hmm. Okay. Even from a coaching standpoint. Now, which were those specifically? Let's go offense, offensive line, first and foremost. Okay. And wide receiver, wide receiver. And that includes tight ends. So that's three different positions. Yeah. So and let's not forget quarterback. Well, and let well let's I'm not let's not forget on one, the, the quarterback thing is is a there's a different discussion because I don't think that was so much of a talent issue as some some other things. But we know there was a very big talent deficiency at O line. We know that there was a big talent deficiency because guys just never stepped to the forefront and started to play good. I mean, there's some talent at tight end, but none of it ever played well this year. Outside of your top three wide receivers. There was not a lot of productive talent at wide receiver on the defensive side. I saw your top two really. Well, I, you know, I mean, Marcus Washington's I, a good blocker. Well, but jo- I'm thinking of Joshua Moore before the blow up happened, mm, you know, then he wasn't it, specific. He wasn't blowing anything out of the water. This year. He wasn't, but he was still a solid, you know, starting wide receiver. And, but regardless, a solid third, sure. On, on the defensive side, edge rusher, mm-hmm. safety, Mm-hmm. and linebacker mm-hmm. because you had basically uh, you know a couple of guys started to make some flashes on at linebacker makes a few plays towards the end of the season but you didn't have anything beyond your top two really when it gets down to it for most of the season so it, those talent deficiencies I think in the end it was just it was too difficult for them you know and now that's a failure to from a coaching standpoint because any coach will tell you then you've got to find a way to scheme around those talent deficiencies, and Texas didn't do it. But that's that's a lot of deficiencies to try and overcome on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I think Texas had four big questions in our very in our intro to Texas, you know, podcast. We were what are the biggest questions we have on the offense? It was offensive line and wide receiver. I think those both went answered as. On the defensive side, what are our biggest concerns? Defensive end, linebacker, and I said safety. I said, I don't think if Brandon Schooler is your best safety, that's not a good sign. And it wasn't. So all three of those question marks were... <laughs> so at the end, you that's really the reason Texas had the season they did. All of the so questions... The end, <laughs> yeah, all the questions ended up being bad answers. Getting, giving, you know, Having bad answers. And therefore, you had the five and seven ending that you ended up with. There was no good, you know. It wasn't like, oh, this guy actually stood up, stepped up. No, nothing. None of that actually happened. So everywhere you're hoping for some po- something positive to happen, nothing happened. Yeah, it is. It, it's hard to agree with with that assessment. Um, yeah, in thinking about what could have gone better from a coaching standpoint, if we're talking about, okay, what does Steve Sarkeesian do? Like, we know there is going to be massive, massive turnover on the roster. <laughs> we know a lot of guys, you know, are leaving naturally. Some more guys will be shown the door, and both the recruiting class and the portal will be heavily relied on to, to restock things. But in terms of, like, looking at your talent deficiencies and what you could have done better, 
like I think this kind of had to be if you, if you were trying to maximize wins, if you had the view that I had that, wow, the, the value of every marginal win right now, given where we are as a program, given our landscape, given how much we need top talent coming in in this class, I would have absolutely sold everything out to get those marginal wins. And for this team, that would have been pin your ears back, blitz like mad, and hope your corners can hold up. Because, I mean, we had nothing on the edge. Nothing. Like, you you can scheme None to of the stop. guys they brought in yeah. brought you anything no. in the transfer. No, I mean, you, you can just outnumber the run when it, when it comes to it. You can throw a hundred different coverage schemes that can somehow match the talent you have, confuse quarterbacks, you know, play it safe, lock up, whatever you want to do. Like you, you can't get a pass rush off the edge unless you've got an edge pass rusher. <laughs> you can't scheme a guy into being able to dip and rip around a tackle. You you can't do it. And Texas never had a guy who could think about beating a quality tackle mm-hmm. head up the entire season unless you were throwing Collins out there and he was you know he, he was doing something but as far as like you know your traditional edge players they had nothing so that obviously puts you behind the eight ball you know <laughs> my philosophy would have been do anything you can to jam the run, get heat on the passer, and put your preferred system in next year when you've got guys who can run it. Pete Kwiatkowski went absolutely in the other direction and said, we're going to fail the same way every week. But I will absolutely acknowledge that that was one of the biggest areas where he was behind the eight ball was you cannot generate pressure from the edges because you have nothing. You probably had two games worth of, you know, Jacob, you were talking about guys being in position and just not executing it. Coaches got them there. They didn't do it. You probably had a two game difference in wins on plays where Brocker Meyer hit a guy in the numbers, slid down to his ankles and fell off somehow without slowing the guy down. (laughs) And you had an Abbott and Costello act at safety all season. So that that's a lot to overcome. I talked about it after the Baylor game. And I talked about going into the Baylor game. I was like, watch the Baylor team. This is the defense that Pete Kwiatkowski wants to run. This is the three-man front using the linebackers as your havoc makers defense that Pete Kwiatkowski wants. He wants a Terrell Bernard type of guy who's going to make things happen going through and blitzing. That's what he wanted out of... Uh, DeMarvin Overshone this year. Now, whether DeMarvin Overshone, you know, failed in that role or it was the offensive line that failed or just the fact that they didn't have another linebacker that could threaten making it very difficult for DeMarvin Overshone to do anything else. Uh, you know, when you're a one-man show, it, it, there's a lot of different answers there. But in the end, you just didn't have the personnel that you needed for this defense. And... Uh, you didn't have the production from the defensive tackles that you were hoping for. What you need in any good defense is a central spine of the defense. You need that defensive tackle, you need the linebacker, and you need the safety. And for this defense, safety is so very, very important. Who are your safeties? A sophomore making his first starts 
this year and a guy who went from transferred from Oregon as a wide receiver, went to defensive back, went back to wide receiver, then went to defensive back, and probably started only because he's a senior and he was probably the 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 headiest guy in a very, very thin safety room that really, looking back on it, could have used Xavier Alford. So if you're looking at all of that, that that is really breaking it down why Texas failed. They just did not have the personnel on the defensive side of the ball, which meant that, yes, while you can throw all the defensive tackles you want out on the field, if there's no linebackers taking advantage of the space that they're building, that they're eating up, then it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen for anybody. And they really built an entire unit out of the transfer portal in the defensive ends. They built an entire unit out of you know backups and a walk-on in the Mike linebacker. And it's hard to win. It's hard to win with that lack of talent. Now, maybe you throw in freshman at that point. Maybe you throw in Jalen Ford earlier. Maybe you throw in uh, you know Maybe you move Anthony hell. Cook to safety and move Darian Dunn to slot corner. Maybe you do that. That would have been very, very smart but they just didn't. And whether mm-hmm. that that's because they didn't trust these guys with knowing their system well enough at this point in time or they just are you know stubborn coaches, we don't know. I mean, I think Jason's right. I think Pete Krakowski just decided to say, you know, we need to learn that we need, this is the system we're going to run. We need to implement it. And maybe I don't have the pieces to run it now, but I'll have the pieces eventually. And it's better for us to learn it now than to run a junk system, you know, just for the sake of a, a, of a few wins this year. You know, it, it seems like that's the decision that was made. Yeah, yeah, and and my big argument with that <laughs> philosophically was, yes, you have now got a bunch of reps in this system installed into guys that you cannot win with in any system. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, yeah. B.J. Foster knows the scheme. He's useless. <laughs> Congratulations, Brennan Schooler knows the scheme. Get out. <laughs> Congratulations, Luke Brockermeyer knows the scheme. All right. Look at there. Ray Thornton and OG Wofo know how to theoretically rush from end in this. They're gone. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, Adamora has the plague. You won't play him. <laughs> Who yep. are we teaching? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, uh, it, it's, it, I don't quite, I don't get it. It's, it's, and that's, that's what, that's one of the things Sarkeesian's going to have to consider when deciding what changes, if any, they're going to make this offseason, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Now, one thing I think is underrated is, you know, and we may have talked about this, I'm not sure. I know it got talked about on the boards. Pete Kwiatkowski was brought in after defensive position coaches were brought in. Mm-hmm. Defensive, that is, they were brought is, in with the understanding that Will Muschamp was going to be the head coach, was going to be the defensive coordinator. With that, right, with the thought that that's who was going to be brought in. So that was not exactly an ideal situation for Kwiatkowski to begin with because he had guys that hadn't run his system and, you know, had never taught it. So that could be kind of a, well, we're not going to get rid of Kwiatkowski because we've had how many defensive coordinators in the last six years? Five billion, I think. Um, And that, you know, there's been zero consistency on that side of the ball. 
from a defensive coordinator standpoint. And maybe there's an argument to, all right, we need to change some of the position coaches and bring let Pete bring in some guys to run his system that he knows can t- that he knows can teach it, and that's the change we're going to make to try and improve things. Right. We'll see. We just got done talking with Tope Amade, who's talking yeah. about you know coaches teaching the the hows, the whys, the whos, and if you don't have coaches who understand the hows, the whys, the whos, how are they going to teach the players the hows, the whys, and the whos? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I had to place my money down, I mean, I think it's kind of what you said. There will probably be some changes at the at the position coach level on the back end. I would imagine Kwiatkowski stays. I you know, I just hope that somebody has had the conversation with Sark that if the defense fails next year and fails badly, then when you make that change, the guys you're trying to hire no, you've got one year left unless they work a miracle. So you're not just saying philosophically, I like what he does. I like continuity. I mean, you're, you're betting your tenure most likely on Kwiatkowski being the guy and being able to succeed at at least a reasonable level with the talent that you can reasonably roll out next year. You know, whatever and that talent may be, <laughs> I can see the argument. I can see the I can see the argument for keeping him, but there is no guarantee that we're going to hit all the home runs in the portal that we would seem to need to run his system effectively if he's not willing to make any bends or changes. So it's a real high leverage decision for Sark on whether you think he can get it done. And Jimmy Lake is is free. He is, and that is a name that's been thrown out. You know, might they look at bringing Jimmy Lake in to coach the secondary? Uh, for out, you know, from Washington now that he's been let go at Washington. I mean, we'll see what they do. It, you know, I I keep coming back to the fact that you know when Pete. I mean, there was no one that thought Pete Kwiatkowski was a questionable hire when he was brought in. It, I mean, the man. His, was no is known all over the country for being a top and a high end defensive coordinator. It went Brent and Venables, Pete it, I mean, He's up. I mean, he's he's one of the names at the top of the of everybody's list. It was considered a home run hire by all respects. That man didn't just forget how to coach, mm-hmm. you know, in one off season. So I, you know, I, I trust me, I'm as pissed as everybody else about how the defense played especially in the second half of ball games but you know there it's it's a question of the coaches need to decide and it, it's really on Sarkeesian is this a question of coaching or a question of talent and there's very strong arguments there's arguments both ways mm-hmm. you know and this is not going to be an easy decision for Sark to make um, I will see what he does but my my gut tells me that he's going to make the decision to keep Pete Kwiatkowski and make some changes, uh, let Pete make some changes under him to try and get this thing going in the right direction. That's my gut, but we'll see. So what does Texas need right now in the offseason to really <laughs> solidify this That's a team? whole other podcast. There's like a episode. lot of players. Jeez. There's a lot of players. We can take another podcast for this. Do you think that's <laughs> worth it? I yep. mean, it's three in one night. 
Well, we're not going to do, well. do another podcast tonight. No, 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 no. I mean, you know, they, they need a lot of things. And, you know, they're, they're, what they need also, that list of what they need may increase depending on these conversations that are going to be happening over the next few weeks. And when we see exactly what attrition takes place on this roster, because, you know, they, they, they're going to have to be, they're going to have to, honestly, they're going to have to be like Chris Beard was in the basketball portal mm-hmm. this off season. They're going to need to be strong, strong players to get people in here uh, to replace guys because man, it, that they need, they need talent. It, they need players at so many areas. It's not even funny. Including linebacker, and there's already a lot of linebackers in the portal right now. It's, I mean, a, they it's, need... it's a shame they don't need running backs because there's a lot of running backs in the portal. But they they could use tight. They could use literally the. There's really only maybe two positions that they don't need somebody. Three maybe. Running back, cornerback, and you know defensive I, tackle. I, I don't think they're going to, they're not going to bring in a transfer quarterback. I just don't think, I don't see that happening. Um, I think they could there. I, they, they might. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. It depends on if it depends on if everybody stays. We'll see. I, I, I I, I don't know that. I don't know that the, the whims of Hudson Carter, Casey Thompson need to be driving anything. (laughs) Although I, I, well, I mean, but they're bringing in, they're bringing in recruits. You know, I, I'm just saying transfer quarterbacks. Yeah, and, and we've got one more year to save the program. <laughs> since since we're talking about it, Casey Thompson's year. I think Casey Thompson is a good quarterback. That's going to ruffle some feathers in the Texas message boards, in the Texas sphere. I think he's a good quarterback. In this podcast? In this podcast, he I is think, good, but he's not elite. No, he's not elite, but he's good. He's a good to at times great quarterback. He can put the ball where it needs to go when he doesn't, when he's not playing severely injured. If you look at how Casey Thompson played prior to the Oklahoma injury, he's a good quarterback. He did what he needed to do, he put the ball where he needed to go. Yes, he wasn't the prettiest quarterback ever, but after that. Injury after the thumb injury against Oklahoma, he couldn't hold on to the ball correctly. He wasn't even practicing well during. Uh, he couldn't make a hook'em sign with his thumb. He couldn't. He couldn't bring his thumb like that. So it's it's very difficult to ask him to make, especially in cold weather, to ask him to make deep ball throws. That's why you saw in the Iowa State game him all of a sudden forget how to throw the damn ball. It wasn't that he forgot how to throw the ball and he was throwing it sideways. He couldn't hold on to the damn ball. Yeah, there's there's no question that his thumb injury 100% hampered his ability to play effectively. And might have changed the course of Texas' season, honestly. Like, if you yeah, have a maybe. good Casey Thompson for the Oklahoma State game, for the Baylor game, for even the Kansas game. I mean, that doesn't mean he didn't make poor decisions at times. He did. Yes. But yeah, there's no question that his ability to throw the ball was noticeably hampered by the thumb injury, and it's just something that he never could get right because he had, there was no time, there was no opportunity to. And when they go to Hudson Card, it's not like even with Hudson Card, he's not noticeably better than Casey Thompson with a thumb injury. Well, and he's Hudson Card just wasn't ready to play. 
No, not I, at all. You know, um, maybe Steve given Sarkeesian, a few years, he's, he Steve, can do Steve it. Steve Sarkeesian, it's very clear. Steve Sarkeesian made an incorrect decision coming out of camp, and it it's it's clear just by the by the level of play that Hudson put out there. He just wasn't ready to go, mm-hmm. and um, and and it was it was a mistake, and it was a mistake that Sark corrected pretty quickly, but then the injury happened, and there were times he just had to pull Casey out because he just couldn't fucking throw the ball. Yeah, I mean, really, you want to look at what happened in the fourth quarter of the Oklahoma game? Casey Thompson's thumb gets injured, and the offense completely shuts down. And when the offense completely shuts down, it gave Oklahoma time to do what Oklahoma does and score quick. That's what happened in that game. That's what happened in the Oklahoma State game when he re-aggravated it and really hurt Texas. And Baylor, he wasn't able to hit throws that he should have. I mean, obviously, he's obviously, he's also not planting his feet when he throws, which hurt as well. But really, like, yes, he made mistakes where he doesn't plant his feet and he throws off of, you know, no base or he makes a poor decision. But there are time, you know, there are balls that he was hitting that Hudson Card was not. And I think with with a serviceable thumb, Texas wins one or two more games this season. At the very least. At the very least. There are not two interceptions against Kansas. There are not, you know, there's there's not you know, against Iowa State just an absolute anemic offense. That's what I think personally with Casey Thompson. I can get I'm probably going to get freaking burned at the stake for that take, but that's how I feel. Jason, yeah, I mean, if there's a magical version of of Casey Thompson with a healed thumb that can, you know, play against the big boys, I guess as well as he did at times against Rice and Tech, that's great. Like I if I'm in charge of the program, am not hitching all my wagons to Casey Thompson's thumb will get better and thus the program will be saved. And I'm pretty confident that Sarkeesian is not is not uh, thinking in that vein either. You know, it it absolutely played a role. How big it was, it's hard to say, but the quarterbacking for it, let's call it the six-game losing streak, was as inept as you will probably ever see at any program that has ever remotely considered itself a blue blood. We've we've seen a limited Case McCoy trot through here. We've seen Tyrone Swoops do his thing, but holy hell, the quarterbacking was bad. And I think you know Sark knows a couple things about quarterbacking. And as unready as Hudson Card was, clearly, he did beat out Casey Thompson. <laughs> I was like, like I heard tales of Luke Brockermeyer interceptions in in the spring and in the summer. Who the what quarterbacks could he pick off? I could think of a couple. Oh look, Brendan Schooler was picking things off. Who the hell could Brendan Schooler pick off? <laughs> I can think of a couple. I can't think of any more than that, but I can think of a couple. I mean, the the quarterback room is sick unto dying. (laughs) And for them not to bend every effort into bringing in 
the best transfer they can as well as trying to add a Darren Brown or somebody else to Malik Murphy in the incoming class, I think would be insane. <laughs> I, I think we will see maximum effort given to restocking the quarterback room through every avenue and then see the chips fall where they may. Hmm. I, I agree. I think you definitely don't rely on Casey Thompson and Hudson card going forward. But yeah. and 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 the, I think it's been made. I think it's been made fairly clear that uh, Casey Thompson strongly supports your view of things, <laughs> and uh, probably will not be around to compete if Texas makes that move. And I will say, fuck right off. <laughs> I don't know, man. Casey Thompson has been given a raw deal after raw deal at Texas uh, under Tom Herman, and. You know, even throughout this year, just being a, you know, freaking warrior with that thumb and sticking with it, honestly. Like he, he probably could have left at the beginning of this year and then Texas is stuck with Hudson Card through the rest of the year. And I mean, I don't necessarily think he got a raw deal under Herman. I mean, was he's, he's, I mean, right, he get a I mean, start he, over Ellinger? No, 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 I mean, no, no. Suck too, he, but at least maybe he should have, maybe he should have gotten to, he should have gotten to play more. At certain times, no, he was. Um, but I'm saying he was lied to at Tom by Tom Herman in terms of, oh yeah, you're going to be playing next year, and then he just doesn't. There's no, there's there was never really a true quarterback battle, and he was talked into staying over Cameron Rising. Uh, so, you know, it. I feel like that's a raw deal for the, him. There's an eval error. <laughs> I mean. He got told he was going to play the next year when Sam was already the starter. That makes zero sense. Yeah, or, or maybe at least he'd be the number two, and they'd get him in games. Maybe I don't know. Okay, but. like I said, I do think he should have. Herman should have played him more uh, when there was opportunities to do so, and just didn't. He just kept throwing Sam back out there, uh, especially in 2020. You know, there were times when we could have seen. You know, more of Casey Thompson to get him some snaps and just didn't. <laughs> Casey, happen. would you like um, a dose of CTE on third and goal? God. <laughs> We've got QB <laughs> power, and uh, yeah. it looks like that's it. So, like, run QB power, get in there. <laughs> um, you know, this year, I mean, I, I'm really curious as to what went into the decision to start Hudson Card. Um, I, I wonder if it was just one of those things where, and we've seen this before, where the quarterback battle was actually pretty even. And so the coach went with the younger guy just, you know, because, you know, he's younger and we'll have more time there, you know, because all reports we kept hearing coming out of fall camp was that it was close. It was close. Maybe, you know, Hudson was just a little bit ahead or sometime, you know, and another day it, it might be Casey. But I just wonder if, if if Sarkeesian went with the age thing as the deciding factor, and it backfired on him. Yeah, I mean, I I, I feel like that was basically how it went. Yeah, a combination of that and kind of overrating our defense. I mean, well, that too. If, bo if both guys were close, both guys were probably going to suck against quality defenses, and both guys did. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, mean, I think that was you know that that was the mindset, and you know the story seemed to be, all right, uh, Hudson's taking too many sacks, and. Casey's throwing too many picks, and if you're the redshirt, uh, you know, experienced QB, 
and you're you're supposed to be you know the game manager. Why are you throwing this many picks? <laughs> so yeah, let's right. go with the young guy. I mean, there was probably not a right answer. There wasn't a magical answer that oh, if you'd have gone with this guy from the start, you'd have won nine games. But yeah, you know, I, I think that was yeah what what motivated it. They're more or less neck and neck with different deficiencies. So go with the the young guy that you think can you know build a bridge to the future. And then we learned that the bridge had been uh, raided by a bunch of uh, Lancaster bombers, and there was no bridge. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they handle it. I mean, it, there's, you know, it, they've got so many spots that they have to try and shore up. You know, they, they've got a very good quarterback recruit coming in and possibly another one in this class, you know, It'll it'll just be interesting to see if they if they focus on trying to improve everything around the quarterback position, or if they also you know just try and bring in a new signal caller, um, and 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 roll with it from there. It's it's going to be one of many tough decisions that Sarkeesian is going to have to make here. In Caleb the next Williams might be available. That would be cool, <laughs> and also hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> You know, Sp- Spencer Rattler's available, but I don't want his bitch ass anywhere near this program. Yeah, I, I would roll the dice on Caleb Williams' developmental curve in a heartbeat, but Spencer Rattler can hide at Fresno State. Yeah. yeah, exactly. All right. I think on that note, though, I think we're going to have to end it off there, do another podcast yep. to, to go over the recruits, recruiting going on with National Signing Day coming up. And just what Texas needs going into next year in terms of coaching, in terms of players and, you know, the questions that we have going into the next year in into spring practice. But for now, thank y'all for listening. This has been fourth and five, your Longhorn nation podcast, Jacob, where can we find you at Kips underscore big underscore boy on Twitter. And Jason, where can we find you? Uh, sleeping in the garage after I podcasted this late. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> hey, you have but a guest room. Yes, That's what it's but, for. Yes, but outside of that, on Twitter at uh, Know the Game sixty K N O W V spelled traditionally sixty, <laughs> written traditionally with Arabic numerals or something. Arabic numerals. And you guys can find me on Twitter at W I L L B A I Z E R. That's my name, Wilbazer. And y'all, thank you so much to Colsey and Brittany M for really supporting the show and allowing us to do this. Uh, y'all's donations are awesome on Patreon. Also, come and hanging out woo with us woo. on the what's up? I said woo woo. And come and hanging out with us on the Discord as well. I should probably do a game breakdown of the Kansas State game, but do people really care at this point? We'll see. Thank it's going to be fun to watch Roshan Johnson run over people. True. Yeah, it's got to be more fun than the Kansas game. That's true. Or the Baylor game. That's also true. Or the Iowa or the State Iowa game. Or the Iowa State game. Or the Oklahoma State game. Okay. That's... <laughs> all right. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you all next week. Hook them. Oh, you sucks. Yeah, hook them in. Oh, you sucks. I'm probably